you love a good mystery? Do you get wrapped up in the suspense and wonder how it's going to turn out? Well, there's a mystery in God's Word that's unfolding and is being revealed to us as we study together. But this mystery is like no other. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz. And today, we're going to learn what that mystery is, and we're going to begin to unveil it in our study of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. It's a great study. And speaking of great studies, are you enjoying these messages in Ephesians? You know, we'd love to hear what you're learning. Notes from listeners like this one from Sheila in Kansas do mean so much to us. Sheila writes, I've been on the Bible bus since 2013, and I'm currently listening to the study in Mark. I enjoy the preaching better than any other. It's so real and still relevant, of course, to today. In my humble opinion, there is no other way to go through the Bible. Most preaching is in snippets, some here and there, but so much more is learned when it is kept in context. Reading through the books has crystallized in my mind the perfect way that the Bible is put together. And then Sheila continues, It's been fascinating to see the Old and New Testaments intertwined the way they are. I have such a better grasp of the overall big picture story of our Lord. It now makes sense. Thank you for being faithful to what I know Dr. McGee would want. I'm praying for the ministry. Well, thank you, Sheila. Thanks for emailing us, and thank you for praying for Through the Bible. We certainly need those prayers. And then here's one more quick note. This is from Francis, who lives in Seattle. He writes, This is my third trip on the Bible bus. Each trip, the Holy Spirit continues to point out new and eye-opening passages that I missed on the first two trips. Dr. McGee's study in the book of Esther struck a chord with me because I, too, was out of the will of God while in the Navy. I now realize that his providence surrounded me. The reason the book of Esther struck a chord with me was my ship was named the USS Providence. After completing my tour of duty and returning home, I found out that my church, the one that I had turned my back on, had prayed for this lost sheep all those many years for my safe return. Well, that's a great story, the SS Providence. Our God certainly is good, and he also has a sense of humor, doesn't he? So what's your story? Would you email us and tell us that story? You can email to BibleBus at ttb.org. You can always write to us at Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109, or in Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. You can also leave a message with your story at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now, our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, recorded a quick introduction for this study, so let's listen to that now, and then I'm going to be back with a couple of quick announcements and pray before we dive into God's Word. Our study today brings us to the first chapter of the Epistle to the Ephesians at verse 8. We are moving very slowly, as you can see, because we are moving through some of the greatest scripture that there is. We're skimming off the cream of the Bible at this time. When I was a boy, I used to get into the milk sometimes after the cream had come to the top, and it always made me sick because it is so rich. Well, may I say to you, this is apt to make us sick. And that's one reason that I don't move any faster than I do, because I don't want to make you sick. And we attempt to give enough each time that a person will have something to digest of the Word of God. That's the reason that we are moving as we are at this present time. Well, I agree. This certainly is a rich section of God's Word. And to help you get the most out of these studies, I want to make sure that you got a copy of Dr. McGee's free notes and outlines. If you haven't yet downloaded your copy for Ephesians, 
then I suggest you do it today. For your convenience, though, we provide the notes and outlines in a couple of different formats. First, they're available to download by individual book. Just visit ttb.org forward slash Ephesians, or you can enter the name of any book that you want to study and then download those notes. Or better yet, the way I've done it, we offer a downloadable digital book that compiles all of the notes and outlines. It's called Briefing the Bible. It's available for free at ttb.org forward slash Briefing the Bible. We also have it available in a Kindle format. It does cost 99 cents there. Or you can always get it through our app as well, those notes and outlines. So remember, you can if you got any questions about any of this stuff, you can just call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Let's pray as we get the Bible bus moving today. Lord, we're so thankful for the treasures and the mysteries that are found in your word. Thank you for your spirit who helps us understand and apply what we're learning to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's our study of Ephesians 1 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now today, friends, we come back to this marvelous first chapter of Ephesians. This is the chapter that shows the church is the body of Christ. God the Father planned the church, and now we're in this section where we see God the Son paid for the church. And the first thing that we have here, we have been redeemed through His blood. We have redemption. Now that word redemption we looked at last time is such a tremendous, wonderful word. It means that he paid a price in order to save us, that we were sold under sin, slaves of sin, and he paid a price, and we have forgiveness because he paid the price. And the forgiveness of God is different than man's forgiveness. Today, man will forgive a person because of a debt that has not yet been paid but should be paid. And God's forgiveness is based on the fact that he forgives because the penalty has been paid and the price has been paid. Christ, by his blood, has purchased our redemption. And it's a glorious redemption, as we've seen. It means that he went into the marketplace where we were sold on the slave block of sin, and he purchased us. He bought us, all of us. But there's another word he uses and that's ex agorazo, and that means that he took us out. That is, he's going to use us for himself, that it's personal. It established a personal relationship. And then there's another wonderful word, and that was lutroo, which means that he went into the marketplace. He bought us to set us free. If the Son make you free, you will be free indeed. Now, somebody says, doesn't that sort of upset the hymn that says, I gave, I gave my life for you. What hast thou done for me? My friend, it sure does. Because the very word redemption that's used here means he never asks you that. That's the glorious thing about this word grace is when God saves you by grace, it doesn't put you in debt to him. Somebody says, but aren't you supposed to serve him? You sure are. But it's on another basis now and relationship. And you say, what's that? Well, the relationship now is love. The Lord Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, because I'm dying for you, you're to keep my commandments, if you love me. And today, if you love him, he wants your service. If you want to say today, I don't love him, then may I say, forget about this business of service. I hear so much about commitment to Christ today. My friend, you and I got very little to commit to him but we're to respond in love to him. 
And that's on a different basis altogether. Because we love him. We love him because he first loved us. If you're willing to come to him and accept him as Savior, and he loved you and he gave himself, but he had to pay a price for you. And he paid that price, his blood. And therefore, there's forgiveness of sin. Now, somebody says, but I don't love him. Well, my friend, he's not asking you to serve him. But if you love him, he wants you to serve him, by the way. And that's what that's all about, that matter of redemption. We have forgiveness, and that's according to the riches of his grace. Now, we come to the second wonderful thing, and that is he's revealed the mystery of his will here. And I read now verses 8 and 9 and 10 in which he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him." That's a wonderful passage of Scripture. That means that he's revealed also to us today the mystery of his will. And what is that? Well, to begin with, what does he mean when he says a mystery? Now, as I indicated last time, that when we looked at the word mystery, we'd say it's not a whodunit. This is not something that Agatha Christie wrote. This is not something that Conan Doyle wrote. And this is not Sherlock Holmes by any means, that we're talking about. A mystery is not a whodunit. A mystery in Scripture means that God is revealing something that up to that time he has not revealed before. And not only that, I have put in my book on Ephesians this twofold meaning of it. It cannot be discovered by human agencies because it's a revelation from God and then it's revealed at the proper time and not concealed. And enough is revealed to establish the fact without all the details being disclosed. Now, there are many mysteries in the New Testament. And I've listed those. There are 11 of them that are mentioned. And may I just intrude by saying this. Did you know that God hasn't told us everything? There are a lot of things God hasn't told us. There are many questions that... I would like to ask God myself. There are a great many people that send in questions to us, and on some of the stations we have a question and answer program. We attempt to answer those questions. Well, I've got questions too, and I don't know who to ask because nobody down here knows the answer. But someday he'll reveal them to us. I've got quite a few things I want to ask him. Now, that is a mystery. It's something he hasn't revealed, but he now has revealed it to us. And in the New Testament, why, there is this wonderful mystery that was not really revealed in the Old Testament. Now, what is that mystery? Well, in which he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now, this expression, in all wisdom and prudence, actually, it belongs with this next verse because it seems to be just a dangling sort of a phrase, a clause here. But if you put it with the other, having made known unto us the mystery of his will in all wisdom and in all prudence. 
Now, I think it should be given to us like that. Now, what is the mystery of his will? It's that which is revealed according to wisdom and prudence. This is not some little ABC something. I, very frankly today, rejoice that there are so many agencies and individuals that are trying to get out what they call the simple gospel. And I thank the Lord that so many folk write and tell us that you're making the gospel simple. We can understand it. And I appreciate that because that's what we're to do. Uh, as Dr. Ironside used to say, put the cookies on the bottom shelf where the kiddies can get to them. But may I say to you that there are the depths and the wisdom of God that you and I can't probe even. And therefore, we ought to bring to it all the mental acumen that we've got in order to try to understand something of the great purposes of God and the plan of God. And God wants us to know these things because now this mystery has been revealed. Now, just what is this mystery? He says here that in the dispensation of the fullness of time. Now, that word dispensation is another wonderful word like mystery. What is a dispensation? And it's misunderstood. Now, there are a great many people today that think that's a dirty word. Well, it's not. It's a great word. And the Bible teaches dispensation. Maybe that's new to you because that's something that even some of our dispensational brethren today don't say. One of the outstanding Bible teachers of years ago told me, he says, I never use the word because it is a word that's hated. Well, there are a lot of words that are hated. Blood is one that the world doesn't like either. And redemption is another word that's not popular. And the cross, Paul says, is an offense. And I don't want to magnify an offense, but we certainly shouldn't ignore it. Now, let's not ignore this. Let me say, first of all, that the dispensation is not a period of time. That's where dispensation differs with the word age. We hear of the age of grace. Well, may I say to you, that's a period of time. Now, dispensation is a altogether different word, and it's translated several different ways. For instance, it's called a stewardship in certain places, called an order in another place, called an administration. Well, now here, it's a dispensation. Now, what is the word? Well, I'll not give the Greek word, but we have an English word that actually is a transliteration of the word, and that is the word economy. And today, economy is a way of doing things. It's an order, a system that is put in. Now, we have today, I know in school, there was what was known, they taught the girls domestic economy. Well, what is domestic economy? Well, that's the way you run the household. That's the way that you run the household. You're going to have baked beans maybe tomorrow night for dinner, and the lady of the house, she purchases a roast, and they're going to have that roast a little later on in the week, and she sets up the order, and that's the way she runs it. Now, maybe down the street there's another family. They wouldn't have that roast on Friday. They're going to have fish on Friday. That's all right. That's the way they run the house, and they've got a right to run it like that. It's the way a thing is run. Now, there's a political economy. That's another thing. They teach that in our colleges today, and there are a lot of young men that go into that field today, and unfortunately, 
That's where all the radicals seem to center today in the field of political economy. Well, it's the way that you run a government, the way you run a nation. Now, over in England, they run things over there different than they do over here. And I'm not sure that either place has got the right system, but that's neither here nor there. And we certainly wouldn't better it by taking on Russia's system. And the interesting thing is that in England, they drive down the left-hand side of the street. I had a lot of fun with our guide over there. And he was a Britisher who had a real sense of humor. And I had a lot of fun with him. And he told me some very good English stories. And I shared with him a few of mine from this country. But anyway, why, I would kid him as we drive along. I said, look out, there comes a car on the wrong side of the street. And you run into it. And he said, well, I'm going on the wrong side of the street. But he says, over here, it's the right side of the street. And I said, over here, the right is left. And I said, my, that's confusing to a poor American over here. But that's the way they run it, you see. That's political economy. Now, what is a dispensation? A dispensation fits into a period of time, but it's the way God runs something at a particular time. It's the way God does things. Now, God had Adam on a different arrangement than he has you and me. I think that the most ardent amillennialists can understand that the Garden of Eden was different than it is today in Southern California. Although there are a lot of people thought that this was the Garden of Eden, and I thought that when I first came out here, but it's got filled with smog now and traffic, and too many of us came out here. Now, that is a different situation back yonder in the Garden of Eden. God was dealing with Adam differently than he is us. Everything, I'm confident, rests upon one method of salvation. God's never had but one way to save folks. But the approach in man under that system has always been different. Abraham brought a little lamb to God, <laughs> and so did Abel. And God said that was the right way. But I hope you didn't take a lamb to church Sunday. If you want to bring a leg of lamb in, I'm sure the minister would like to have a leg of lamb. But that's not the way you approach God today, you see. We're under a different economy. Now, he says here that in the economy of the fullness of times. Now, what is the fullness of times? Now, I can't go into all phases of that. But you know that God is moving everything. And this is the fullness, the pleroma, when everything is going to be brought under the rulership of Jesus Christ. And the day is coming that thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that's not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, because we're in a different dispensation today. may not like the word, but it's a good one. <laughs> and we're in a different economy today. Now there's coming a day when every knee must bow, every tongue must confess that Jesus is the Lord, and God's moving everything in that direction. Now that's something that hadn't been revealed in the past. Now, because of the redemption that we have in Christ and the fact there's a church today, that's the thing he's revealed to us. God is moving toward the day when every knee must bow to Jesus Christ, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, even in him. You see, heaven and earth are out of tune today. We're playing our own little tune. We've got rock music going down here. 
They don't have it up there. The only rock up there is the Lord Jesus. He's the rock, that precious stone. That is the foundation on which the church rests today. But that's a different figure of speech than we have in this chapter. Now, will you notice, that is the second thing, the third thing in verse 11, "...in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will." Now, he rewards us with an inheritance, and he rewards us with something we haven't done. How wonderful this is. Now, may I call your attention to this? And this is a very wonderful thing. He says here, "...in whom we have obtained an inheritance." Now, in the overall purpose and plan of God, believers have a part. They are going to inherit with Christ, and they're going to inherit with Christ because they're in Christ. And Paul says in Romans eight seventeen, "...and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ." If so be that we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. Now, these are some of the wonderful things. And then over in 1 Corinthians 3.21, he makes this statement here, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, Cephas or the world or life or death or things present, things to come, all are yours. And ye are Christ. Christ is God. I don't know that tremendous statement God makes. I don't grasp it all, but it causes me to be lifted from the seat in which I'm sitting and just carried right into the skies. My friend, everything's mine. Everything is mine. Christ belongs to me. Paul belongs to me. Even death may belong to me. All of it's mine. And it's because he's given it to me. So it's going to be an experience. And Christ is mine and God is mine. Oh, friend, how wonderful that is. I don't know about you, I feel like shouting because this is so wonderful that he's done for us here. And he predestinated this. He determined it. You see, predestination always refers to the saved. God never predestinated anybody to be lost, but he predestinated us to get an inheritance. And if he hadn't predestinated it to me, I wouldn't get one because the reward I do not deserve. And this is God's will. And that's the only basis on which this is done. And it's good, and it's right, and it's best. Why? Because God purposed it, my friends. And you can't have it any better than that. Oh, these are the three wonderful things that Christ has done for us. He paid for the church. And I belong to him because he paid a price. How wonderful it is. I can't lose. <laughs> oh, how wonderful this is. Now we come to the last. And, of course, we can only mention it. We're going to see now what the Holy Spirit does. We'll see that next time. God the Holy Spirit protects the church. God the Father planned the church. God the Son paid for the church. God the Holy Spirit protects the church. I tell you, church is very important to him today. The little plans of man down here say they're not important. They think they are. Men are running around with a blueprint for the world. Well, they won't even be around here in the next hundred years. This crowd will all be gone. <laughs> but God's great plan is going to be carried out. Thank God for that. Aren't you rejoicing today, friends? Wherever you are, 
whoever you are, however you are. May God bless you. Wow, what great truth. Let me repeat that. God the Father planned the church. God the Son paid for the church. God the Holy Spirit protects the church. These studies are truly foundational to our faith, aren't they? So if you'd like to spend more time with them, and it's a good idea to do that, you can listen again anytime through our app, also going to ttb.org. And remember, ttb.org is also the place to find out more about the resources we offer that'll deepen your understanding of God's Word. You can always call us as well, 1-800-65-BIBLE. Again, ttb.org or 1-800-65-BIBLE. And when you're in touch, would you let us know how you listen to Through the Bible? Is it by our app? Is it online? How about Alexa, YouTube, our Bible bus flash drive? We've got so many different ways to listen, as well as your favorite Christian radio station. We really need to know this information. It helps us to be good stewards of the resources that God provides through faithful friends just like you. Now, we got a lot more great truth to discover in this amazing study of Ephesians. Why don't you read ahead yourself through verse 11 for next time? I'm Steve Schwetz. Let's meet back here as we continue to make our way through the Bible. Jesus Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?